what are we doing? Okay, you know that our vision here at Highland is to build up the next generation. It's something we've been talking about for about a year and a half. There are five benchmarks to this vision. The first of those benchmarks is with young adults. The second of those benchmarks is family discipleship. The third is special needs. The fourth is adoption and foster care. And then the fifth, and we're gonna put this up on the screen, has to do with missions. And so let's throw this up here. Okay, number five is to plant a next generation church every two years and support two next generation focused missionaries. Okay, so you know that about two years ago, almost two years ago now in January, we planted a new church here in Memphis. It's called the Oikos Church. They are doing really well. In fact, Smith Hopkins, the lead church planner, is going to come and preach to y'all next Sunday from the Oikos Church and tell you how they're doing and also just bless you from God's word. So come next week and hear about the amazing ministry going on there. So we believe part of being a church is planting churches. You see this in the book of Acts, which we've been studying together. And today we're going to be in Acts 24, 25, and 26, if you want to go there. And we also believe that when we step out and do what the, what the Lord calls the church to do, that God blesses the church. And so our, our experience of planting the Oikos Church was actually an experience of rich blessing here at the mothership. And so we believe God's calling us to do even more of that, along with supporting two new next generation missionaries. And so those may overlap. Some of those missionaries may be church planners as well. So let's throw up the next slide here. What this means as it relates to this special contribution is that right now our church gives over $500,000 every year, over half a million dollars every year to missions, over half a million dollars. It's a lot of money. Okay. By God's grace, and your generosity, our prayer is that by 2028, we would reach a million dollars every year. Okay. Now, it's kind of intimidating for me to put that on the screen, that ambitious, audacious goal. But I want you to see and to join us in praying for this. Okay, to plant a church is expensive. To send out more missionaries is expensive. And so we don't want to reach our goal of planting more churches and sending more missionaries by cutting and pulling back other missionaries and churches. That's, that's not the vision or goal. Our goal is to expand it. How do we do that? Well, you and I increase our sacrificial giving, which you're doing this year, praise God. And two, we grow so that more would share in our giving. I mean, that's that's the way church works. We, we grow to share, to do more for the kingdom. So let me throw that up there for you to see it and to join us in praying for that. That is a huge goal. And we want to accomplish that goal without cutting back on our normal week-to-week -week operations, our weekly ministry here. Okay, that's a big goal. So this is the point where you say, why? Why? Why do we do that? You know, you're, you're sitting next to somebody today who is, is going to write a check or get online later and make a gift that is a big sacrifice for them. And you're thinking about doing it too. And the question is, why do we, why do, we do that? Again, why missions? Okay, why missions? <clears throat> well, the first answer, and this is the answer I sometimes tell my kids because I said so, uh, the first answer, maybe the most simple and obvious, is because Jesus said so. There's two places we could go. There's multiple places, two that really stand out. Let me take you to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, since we've been studying Acts together as a church. One of the last things 
that Jesus says to his disciples is here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at this with me. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. He says, your job is to tell everybody about me. And not just everybody around you, although I want you to tell them. I want you to tell everybody everywhere. And Jesus says something really similar in the Great Commission to Matthew 28. He says, I want you to go and make disciples where? Of all nations. Everybody. <clears throat> okay, so the easiest reason for why we do missions is because he said so. But maybe your kids are like my kids, and they're not always satisfied when I say because I said so, which is hard to believe. And, um, and so sometimes I'll say because I said so, and they'll say what? Why? Why, why do you say so? All right. And so come with me to these three chapters in Acts because I think it speaks to that underlying why, why Jesus tells us to do missions. In Acts 24, 25, and 26, Paul is on trial. And it's three trials before three different judges, Governor Felix, Governor Festus, and then King Agrippa. But I think if you were to ask Paul, he would say, it's not three trials, it's one trial, and it's about one thing. Okay, this trial that takes place over multiple years before multiple judges, Paul says, it's really just about one thing. He keeps calling that one thing the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. Come with me here to 2421, chapter 2421. He's talking to Governor Felix, and this is what he says. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Now, this wasn't why Felix and his commanders rushed in to save Paul. Paul was in this skirmish with the Jews. The Jews were mad at him and wanted to kill him. They came in and frankly saved his life by arresting him, but then he he stays arrested because they want to kill him so bad, and he comes to trial before Felix, and he says, Felix, this isn't about what you think it's about. This is what it's about. I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. So he's saying, I'm not on trial for the mission work I'm doing, the things I'm talking about. What's really at stake here, what I'm really being judged for, is my fundamental belief that is leading me to do that mission work. What's my fundamental belief? All people are going to live forever. Okay, come back a few verses before this. He says it kind of differently in 2415, but it's the same thing. <clears throat> he says, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. Those are his Jewish accusers. What's their hope? That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So everybody. All right, now come all the way forward to chapter 26. That's the beginning. Chapter 26 is the end of this saga of three trials. He's standing before Agrippa and he says this. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised. Anytime he says hope here, he's talking about the Jewish hope of the resurrection of the dead. Okay. He says it's because of my hope and what God has promised to our ancestors that I'm on trial today. So same reason I was on trial before. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that, the, that these Jews are accusing me. 
Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Okay. Paul's on trial for what he's doing, mission work. Talking about Jesus all over the place. He says, that's not why I'm on trial. I'm on trial because of my hope. What's his hope? That every single person, every person you know and love, every person you don't know living on the other side of the world, every single person that has ever lived or ever died on this planet will live forever. That's what he's on trial for, he says. Somebody sent me this video the other day, and some of you can probably relate to this. This was a parent, and I think they could relate to it. It was this, a video of a dad, and he's sitting in front of his son. His son's maybe three or four years old. And the dad has two Oreos in this hand and a wad of cash in this hand. And he offers them both to his son, and he says, you got to pick one or the other. Which one does the kid pick? Oreos. It's instant. I mean, he instantly grabs the Oreos. Okay, so his, his dad like pulls it back and puts more cash in his hand and offers it to the, to the kid. Oreos, two Oreos, or more cash. What does he choose? Oreos instantly. Okay. All right, well, think about it this way. What if the dad said, all right, son, you got these two, two Oreos right now, and then he holds out an empty hand, and he says, in this hand, you could choose for me to put $100,000 in your college savings account, or you can have two Oreos right now. Which is the kid going to choose? Two Oreos, right? And of course we laugh. We're like, ah, kids are so cute. And they're not. (laughs) Say, kids are so cute, all right? They are, they are. And um, I think probably it's it's more a reflection on uh, human nature generally than it is just on kids. And that is our tendency to choose short-term over long-term. Or we are just naturally inclined that way. I mean, we really have to fight it to resist the urges that draw us to short term over long term. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the tool store and there's a cheap version of the tool and there's an expensive version, right? And which do you buy? The cheap version and it stops working halfway through your project. So you make your third trip to Home Depot that day. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, how many times do we do that? We choose cheap or short-term over what would last long-term. I was meeting with my financial planner a couple years ago. He said, Eric, you need to be putting away this much money for retirement. And I laughed in his face, right? Okay, why? That feels impossibly far away, impossibly far away. And then you know what his response is? Well, every year you wait, Eric, you're going to have to save more every month. I should have started saving for retirement when I was six, frankly. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, We just don't think in terms of long-term naturally. We think naturally in terms of short-term. Okay, so let's put this up on the screen. Well, let's say temporary versus eternal. Temporary versus eternal. Humans are naturally drawn towards temporary versus eternal. And I know we've got kids in here, and I'm going to use these words a couple times, so let's just define them for the sake of the kids. When I say temporary, I mean something that lasts just for a time, a short time. And when I say eternal... I'm talking about something that's going to last forever, forever. All right, for Paul, I want you to look at this visual now. Let's go to this next visual. For Paul, what is eternal is so much weightier. It's not that what's temporary doesn't matter. It's just that what is eternal matters infinitely more. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, our light and momentary 
troubles, okay, are producing for us an eternal glory. So he says, whatever you're going through in this life, as hard as it may be, and sometimes it is very hard, it doesn't feel light, okay? But whatever it is, in terms of its weight, it just simply cannot compare to what is eternal because that will last forever. So for Paul, eternal is so much heavier. But here's the problem. All the people judging Paul or judging his mission work, for them, what is temporary weighs a lot more. Look at what Festus says in verse, or chapter 25, verse 19. This is his second judge. He's talking about Paul's trial to the next judge. He says, you know, they had some points of dispute with him, Paul, about their own religion, about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Well, I was at a loss about how to investigate such matters. He's saying, listen, eternity is beyond my pay grade. Like, that's not why y'all pay me. I don't know anything about eternity. I don't have any way to investigate if what Paul's claiming is true. Now, there were ways to investigate that. He says, I don't have any way to investigate whether what Paul is saying about this guy, Jesus, is true and that we're all going to have an eternal life. I have no idea. And so I'm going to make my decisions based on what's temporary. He's in a fight with these people around him who want to kill him. I'm trying to prevent that. It's temporary. Okay, so earthly leaders inevitably focus on what's temporary. Whereas Paul's thinking about what's forever. Look at this. This is put so clearly in chapter 24, verses 24 and 25. This is back with Felix. I want you to just the juxtaposition here between temporary and forever. Look at this. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's his eternal future. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. So for Paul, let's look at this in this next slide. For Paul, he's making all of his decisions about what he does based on forever, a forever judgment. For Felix, this human leader, he's making all of his decisions based on what is currently convenient. Okay, that's all he can do. He's making his decisions based on what's convenient right now. Right? And we see this all the time in our world. I was, I was trying to think of, like, what's a softball example of this? Think about prayer in public schools, okay? Um, prayer in public schools. If, and you're looking at here. Let's replace Paul with Christians and Felix with human authorities, okay? If human authorities, if their primary driving motivation was the eternal life of every person they serve, and they believed every one of those children in that public school was going to stand before God one day. They would want more than anything in the world for those children to connect with God before they stand there before him. All right. But if they do that, they're going to have a lot of angry school board meetings. Right? There's going to be protests. There's going to be angry parents. And frankly, that kind of stuff is just inconvenient. Right? Who wants to deal with that stuff? And so we understand why they make the decisions they make. Why? Because of current convenience versus eternal realities. And I'm not here to throw stones at our governing officials. I'm just here to say our motivations are different. That's why Christians feel out of place in this world. We're thinking about something totally different than they are. And that's guiding our decisions. In 1974, this guy named Billy Graham. Anybody ever heard Billy, Billy Graham, that name? It's not C.S. Lewis, it's Billy Graham. 
And uh, he hosted a conference for world missions, and it was in Lausanne, Switzerland. It's the largest world missions conference ever hosted. And so what they were talking about were what are the fundamental things Christians believe that drive us to share the good news of Jesus. And the third bullet point is what they called holistic mission, holistic mission. What they said was, based on their convictions about Jesus Christ and his word, that Christians everywhere are called to alleviate every form of human suffering. So wars, poverty, violence, famine, abuse, all of those that we would intervene and seek to relieve them. And those are temporary needs. Okay, but the third point of holistic mission goes on, that humans everywhere would strive to intervene and prevent all human suffering, especially eternal human suffering. And the point they're making is that if good Christian people only focus on temporary earthly needs, okay, and ignore an eternal suffering of humanity, then that is the most inhumane thing we could possibly do. To relieve all of their earthly needs and ignore their need for eternal relief. And then we have been cruel and unjust to them. Think about that. Think about it. This is what Paul believes. He says this, he believes there is an eternal future for every person. He says, I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. I say nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead. What's he saying? Because Jesus returned to us from forever, from beyond the dead, we know everybody else will also live forever. That's what we know. And he says that Jesus, he doesn't stand there just angry at the world, just wanting to condemn the world. He stands there, look at this in 26, 17. He desires that all people, that they would be turned from darkness to light, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Um, I think there's two, there's two real dangers for Christians. And the first is that our faith would become too democratic. And what I mean by that, I'm a fan of democracy, but what I mean by that is our democracy is built on the principle that all people are created equal. And it is tempting to then also believe that means all people's beliefs are created equal. Okay, that is not the truth. In God's eyes, all people are made in his image and deserve respect and value, but that does not mean that everything they think is equally valid. And the calling of missions is to share the actual truth with the whole world so that when they are raised to life, they might be raised to live with Christ Jesus forever. That's it, that's it. And the other temptation is that we believe in our heart of hearts that they need Jesus in order to live with him forever. They need him right now. They need to surrender their lives to him to live with him forever. And yet we live as though we don't believe that because frankly, it's awkward to talk about. Man, Lord, let that not be the case with us. Paul stands before Agrippa. And Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time, Paul, you can convince me to be a Christian? And he says, look at this, look at this. He says, short time or long. Let's throw this up there on the screen. You're going to see it here in just a second. He says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Does he mean that we want everybody to be like us because we're great? No, we want everybody to be like us because we have a great Savior a great savior whose desire for us is a forever desire. 
if that's what we do today. I'm going to throw up on a screen a QR code. I'm going to invite my brother Jay Shapley, one of our shepherds, to pray over us. This QR code on the screen will take you to the place where you can give to our special contribution today. You can also do that by check in the boxes in the back, but Jay's going to lead us in prayer as you give generously. Thanks, Jay. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you and we thank you. We are a grateful people, grateful most of all for your son's sacrifice, his atoning sacrifice that allows us to be reconciled with you even though we are so imperfect. And Father, we pray your blessings upon our missionaries and our other points of contact with the world. We pray that you will bless them and that you will bless each and every person in the Highland Street Church as we give to those needs with resources that truly are already yours, and we're just sharing in them. In Jesus' name, amen.